night or this session, part one, we'll be talking about foundations of fasting. Um, part two, we'll be talking about uh, fasting regularly and the benefits of it, spiritual and physical. And then the part three, we'll talk about tips and hints and medical information in regards to fasting. A lot of people don't fast because they're afraid to fast. And it's not really talked about a lot and preached about a lot. So I wanted to be sure that we cover it thoroughly. So this is the beginning of a three-part series. And we'll look tonight at more of the theological, biblical foundations of fasting. And then in part two and three, we'll look at those other aspects. But as we start tonight's lesson, part one of the Joy of Fasting Foundations, I love the quote here from Andrew Murray. It should be in your notes. Fasting helps express, deepen, confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. I tell you what, it is counterculture. It is counterintuitive. Why? Because if, if you're like me, I'm eating breakfast thinking about what I'm going to eat for lunch. And I'm eating lunch thinking about what's for afternoon snack. And I'm eating afternoon snack thinking about what's for dinner. But when you and I learn to take on the Lord as someone we delight in and have that relationship with him, it's not about food anymore. It's not about TV shows anymore. It's not about sports anymore. And none of those things are bad or wrong. But they just don't have the priority that they used to once have in our lives when we begin to put the Lord first. And I'm telling you from personal experience, and you're talking to a foodie, I'm talking as a foodie to you, it is a joy to fast. It is beautiful. I mean, it is absolutely beautiful and it can be done. If I can fast, anyone on the planet can fast. But fasting helps express, deepen, and confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. I love that quote by Andrew Murray. It just totally summarizes what fasting should be in our lives. Let's look at four foundational principles of fasting. Number one, fasting is an invitation. It is not a forced thing. It's an invitation. It's like, come, come and check it out. Come and see how good I am, says the Lord. Um, Matthew 6, 17 and 18. I love the way this is worded. When you fast, your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. It doesn't say if you fast. It says when you fast. So to me, that says it is a ongoing, regular part of the life of a believer and a disciple of Christ. Because it's not if we're fasting or not. It's when we're fasting. When you fast, your heavenly father, that's capital F there, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. This helps us to see his kingdom expressed in and through our lives and circumstances. When we fast and we accept this invitation, I mean, how many of you want an invitation to a, a party or an invitation to a celebration or an invitation to a gathering or a family reunion? We all get excited about those. I believe the joy of fasting comes when we realize it's the Lord inviting us in to go deeper with him inviting us to experience him at a greater level, to understand him more than we ever have before. It enlarges our spiritual capacity and it is a normal part of the life of the believer. And some spiritual blessings will be released only in the context of spiritual hunger. 
Um, most Christians, and I used to think this way, is I fast to twist God's arm to get him to do what I want him to do. And can I just tell all of us tonight that that's the mindset of a two-year-old? I'm going to throw a tantrum so that I get my mom and dad's attention so that I can have what I want. That is not what fasting is. Fasting is me laying down my life and saying, Lord, what do you want from me? You're worth it. You're worth, you're worth more than the food I eat. You're worth more than the friends I have. You're worth more the, than the money I can spend. It's a, it's a continual expression of, God, you're worth it all. And we sang about that Sunday. He's worthy of it all. And we have to believe that in order to behave uh, in a fasted lifestyle. But there will be some spiritual blessings released because again, he is a benevolent and loving God. When we meet him at his invitation, he shows up in grand style and it's, it's beautiful. Matthew five and six says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. That means if you are hungering and thirsting for the kingdom, he's going to give you the kingdom. And he's going to give you the fullness of the kingdom. Are you hearing that fullness ring in the background? We've got the theme this year, pastors preaching on fullness and fasting. It seems counterintuitive. Fasting brings fullness. We're thinking of a full belly, but God's thinking of a full heart. When I fast and set things aside, I make room for what he wants to pour in to my life. So fasting is an invitation. Number two, fasting is a paradox. Physical bodies are weak and hungry. And guess what? That is the best time that God can speak to us. Let me throw this out there. It's also the best time the enemy can distract us and tempt us. So we have to safeguard ourselves when we're fasting. Our hearts become more tender and sensitive to the Holy Spirit when we fast. And as our dulled senses are awakened because of lack of food, we become raw before God as we become more aware of our brokenness, our barrenness, our sinful motives and wrong desires. Because I'll be honest with you, I used to live to eat instead of eating to live. And that's a huge difference. The Lord wants to break that cycle off of our lives to where we don't hunger for anything but him and we don't desire anyone but him. Now, it's balanced. If you're married, you need to desire your spouse. If you have children, you need to have relationship with your kids. You've got to eat to, to live. You, you can't go for just so long without food or water. You will die. There's a balance in all of this, but we're talking about it in the context of fasting. Fasting is not only an invitation and a paradox, but it is a grace. I love this word grace. Um, it's everywhere in scripture and it is coming alive to me in a new way as I experience the grace that God gives. What is the grace that God gives? It's the ability to do whatever he's asking you to do. It's grace to be a parent. It's grace to be a husband and a father. It's grace to be a wife. It's grace to be an employee. It's grace to be a sibling. It's grace to be a pastor. It's gr you have to have God's grace to fulfill these roles that we have in life. 
And it's his grace to do what he's called us to do. We are unable to sustain a lifestyle of fasting in our own strength. And it is designed that way on purpose. If you try to fast in the strength of the flesh, I'm just going to go ahead and prophesy right now. You're going to fail because it won't happen in the strength of the flesh. The flesh is willing, but it's weak. And you get to hour two and you're wanting to know where the Oreos are. You're tearing the doors off the cabinet to get to the Doritos. I'm telling you, in the strength of the flesh, you will fail. But when God invites us to do something for him and his kingdom, he also empowers us to faithfully walk it out by grace. He's not setting us up for failure. It's not, he's not teasing us going, okay, I want you to give up food a little bit and let me know how that goes for you. And he walks away. No, he's inviting us into a deeper relationship with him to give up our daily sustenance so that we are totally focused on who he is and what he wants. And that invitation brings with it his power, his ability, his sufficiency, his fullness, and his grace. It is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And this is one thing that's true. The fear of fasting is worse than fasting itself. It's usually the fear of something is worse than the actual thing. That's true about fasting as well. So fasting is an invitation. It's a paradox. It's a grace. But fasting is also an expression of humility. And can I just tell you that humility is the currency of God's kingdom. It's not gifting. It's not ability. It's not knowledge. It's humility. When you and I will humble ourselves and we will think of ourselves more lowly than we ought than we, than we should on the other end of that. Because the Bible says, don't think too highly of yourselves or more than you ought to. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. When you and I humble ourselves, we're putting God's kingdom and his plan first. Fasting is an expression of that humility. David spoke of fasting as humbling himself before God. We see it in Psalm 35. I mean, there's tons of Psalms. I'm just giving you a sampling here. I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. Psalm 69.10, when I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Why? Because it doesn't make sense to the world. They're like, what are you doing? Eat, drink, and be merry. We don't know how long we've got. It humbles us to fast because this is God's plan. It's never God's plan to humiliate us. It's God's plan to humble us and show us our desperate need for him. In Isaiah 58, you see Isaiah writing, and it's like a dialogue between Israel and the father going back and forth. And he's like, is, is this really the fast that I made for you? A, a fast that you would just be miserable for a day and, and you, you don't really mean what you're doing? And, and Israel said, but we fasted for a day and you didn't answer us and you didn't. And, and God's like, no, that's not what fasting is about. It's not for you to be miserable. It's you to enter into the kingdom of what I'm calling you to do. And then he goes on to tell him what true fasting is, feeding the hungry, blessing the poor, caring for the widow and orphan. He just goes down a list of things that are the life of God's kingdom. So it can humble us and afflict our soul. And God wants that because it puts us in a right, the right frame of mind. So 
We look at these foundational principles of fasting as an invitation, a paradox, a grace, and an expression of humility. So let's look at seven types of biblical fasting. And we've got just a few minutes to do this. Number one, fasting to experience a greater measure of the power of God in personal ministry. Now, the first six of this list of seven, if you're not hearing it with the voice of the Spirit, it's going to sound like, hey, if I want to have a big ministry, I've got to fast. Or if I want to have direction in my life, I've got to fast. It's not us trying to get something from God. Fasting is aligning ourselves to what he has already put in place for the destiny and fulfillment of our lives, okay? So it's not us convincing God of something. It's us saying, okay, where's God in this? Okay, I need to get over here and align myself with that so that I'm making sure that I'm getting everything I need to fulfill the plan that he has for me, the purposes that he has for me, the mission that he has for me, the servanthood that he has for me. Does that make sense? So fasting to experience a greater measure of the power of God, we see this all throughout the Bible. We see this in the ministry of Jesus. Mark 9, he replied, this kind of demon can come out only by prayer and fasting. The disciples tried to cast the demon out of the boy who was throwing himself in the water and throwing himself in the fire. This is the verse where the father's like, why can't you do this? What's going on? And so he goes to Jesus and he's like, why can't your disciples cast this out? And Jesus made it very plain. There has to be an intimacy with the father and a level of relationship in place for this kind of authority to be in place. And so that comes from fasting. The ministry of John the Baptist, Matthew 11, for John came neither eating nor drinking. He, he wasn't, he was talking about repentance. We, we can repent in our fasting. That's good. That's good news. We need to do that. We also see it in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. He knew what it was. We see it in 2 Corinthians 11 to go without food. And he knew what it was to hunger and thirst. So I would say that John the Baptist had a very powerful ministry. He was the forerunner of Christ. I would say Jesus himself had a very powerful ministry. And I would say Paul um, wrote half the New Testament. I would think he'd have a pretty powerful ministry. So there is a connection with fasting and prayer and seeing the power of God in ministry. Number two, we fast for direction. These are biblical types of fasting. Paul fasted for three days immediately after his conversion on the Damascus road when God knocked him off his high horse is what I like to say and came to reality. And he's like, God, who are you? And he knew who he was because he called him by name. Who are you? And God showed himself and he said, go and wait for me and I'll give you clear direction. And so what did, what did he do? He was guided because he was blind to the city and he stayed for three days and he chose not to eat or drink because he's like, I'm waiting on the Lord. We talked about that uh, in the last session I just taught, waiting on the Lord's key. We see Paul and the leaders of the church at Antioch fasting and praying for direction. Uh, that's in Acts 13 where they say, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. That happened while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. They created an atmosphere. They created a porthole, if you will, spiritually, supernaturally, for the Lord to speak and say, okay, it's time to set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them to. I don't believe that would have happened if they hadn't been worshiping the Lord and in a season of fasting. Letter C, Paul and his team also fasted and prayed in the process of selecting and commissioning elders of the new churches in Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they trusted. That's Acts 14, 23. 
So it's fasting for greater ministry, fasting for direction, fasting for fulfillment of God's purposes. Just a couple of examples here in the Old Testament, Daniel prayed and fasted for the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy that he would deliver Israel from their 70 year captivity in Babylon. Daniel 9.3, I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. He made that a regular part of his life. Lord, deliver Israel from Babylon. Get them back to where they belong. And so he was praying the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy over Israel through prayer and fasting. And then we see in the New Testament, the prophetess Anna who served God with fastings and prayers for over 60 years. And then she was able with her own two eyes to see the dedication of the Messiah, Jesus. Can you imagine the reward that would have been this side of heaven to have fasted and prayed for the coming of the Messiah for 60 years and then be able to see the babe with your own two eyes? That is what we're talking about when we enter in to that relationship with the Lord on this deeper, more intimate level with him of saying, Lord, you're worth it all. I'll give you everything I have. I'll give you all of who I am, all of my desires, everything that I want and I'm ambitious for. I lay it all down for what you want and what you want to bring about. And Anna got the reward of that in Luke 2, 36 and 38. Number four, fasting to stop a crisis. This is biblical. Fasting to avert an individual or national crisis was a regular practice in the Old Testament. We see Jonah being sent to the wicked Assyrian city of Nineveh that the God of Israel was going to destroy them. And when the inhabitants of Nineveh humbled themselves, there's that word again, and repented with fasting. Wow. The Lord showed mercy and spared the city and it made Jonah mad as fire. Because he said, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to be a merciful God. He, he probably should have fasted a little bit and humbled himself. And then we have King Ahab was one of the most wicked kings in Israel's his, history. Yet he humbled himself with prayer and fasting. There's the word humble. There's the word fasting. And God stopped the judgment that was set against him in 1 Kings 21. It's amazing. Now, again, if you're listening with the ears of the flesh, it sounds like, oh, well, this is a spiritual formula. If I humble myself, fast and pray, then I'm going to get something from God. But no, these are situations in the lives of people, some believers, some not, some wicked, some pure, some righteous, some pursuing the Lord, where they're realizing there is a benefit and there is a power behind giving God everything, all of who you are. There's fasting for protection. Number five. Ezra's caravan to Israel when they were coming back to help rebuild Jerusalem. Um, they, they prayed and fasted there in, in Ezra 8, 21 and 23 for protection because there would be um, bandits and raiders on the road and they had gold and silver and building supplies and the king had sent them on their way with everything they needed to start rebuilding the, the, the city and start rebuilding Jerusalem. And so they prayed and fasted for protection and they made it there safely. They arrived with everyone in tow and all that they had brought with them. Um, When King Darius was tricked to throw Daniel into the lion's den, and this is a pagan king now, 
This isn't a king that says, well, I profess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. No, he's a pagan king. In fact, he's probably the deity uh, of the society. He fasts and prayed for Daniel's protection and God shut the mouths of the lions. So God even hears the prayers of pagans. Aren't you thankful? Because every one of us was a pagan before we came to Christ. I'm so glad he heard our prayer. And then Esther needed divine protection when going before King Xerxes in order to save her people from annihilation. She called the Jews in Persia to fast for three days. The Lord spared her life and used her to reverse the situation regarding her people. So there's fasting for protection. There's fasting for insight into God's end time plan. This this can be a whole sermon in itself. So I'm just going to hit on this quickly. The Holy Spirit is raising up men and women and I believe some of them are in this room who will have an increased measure of insight into what the scripture says about Jesus in time plan. He needs us to share this insight and information with those that are lost and astray or those that have grown cold in their relationship with the father that Jesus is coming back and he's coming back soon. And we've got to talk about this and fasting helps us by giving us insight into his word. And here specifically for his end time plan before his return. Let's jump to number seven, fasting for intimacy with God. This is the one I think that they all hinge on because this is the one where ministry, divine intervention, protection, and power flow from is the intimacy. You can't have those other things without the intimacy with the father. Matthew 9, 14 and 15 says, Then the disciples of John came to him, Jesus, asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The attendants of the groom cannot mourn as long as the groom is with them, can they? But the day will come when the groom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. In other words, what he was saying is, I'm here. It's not time to fast. It's time to fellowship. It's time to feast. It's time to to converse and to work and to serve and to learn and to take on and for me to impart. And all that happened around the table. If you look at the many times in the Gospels when Jesus and the disciples, it was connected with food, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 3,000. That's a that's a biblical paradigm in the Gospels. It was there was fellowship. Why? Because the Messiah was here. It's not time to fast. And he made it so plain. It was so simple. He said, but when I go, it'll be time to fast. And why do we fast? Because we're longing. We're longing for his return. So we fast. We, 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 uh, you, we ask the Holy Spirit to give us self-control and we desire what the Father wants for us. This fast is motivated primarily by one's desire for Jesus rather than by a need for more power, direction in ministry, divine intervention or protection. This type of fasting, fasting for intimacy with God is based on desire alone. That's it. If you get nothing, it's just that you're with him and that you're his and he's yours and his banner over you is love. And that's enough. That is enough. And it's beautiful. If you ever can taste that, and I know that sounds like an oxymoron because we're talking about fasting, but if you can ever taste or catch a glimpse of the beauty 
of what God is trying to do in us by saying, I yield, I yield, I submit, I'm all yours. This type of fasting is based on desire alone. Matthew 5, 4 and 6 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's the paradox we were talking about earlier. If we will hunger and fast and thirst for the things of the kingdom, if we will hunger and thirst for God's desires, for his plans to unfold, his purposes in the earth to be seen, then guess what? We'll be filled with the fullness of God. Wow, what else could we ask for? If we are filled with his fullness, we don't need anything else. Nothing else can compare. Nothing else holds a candle to the fullness of God in our lives. Spiritual hunger is a divine gift that leads us to seek greater experiences in his love, regardless of the cost. This is one place that you don't count the cost. You just recklessly abandon yourself to the Lord. Now, in parts two and three, we're going to talk about the how-to and the application of this. Okay, this is the biblical foundation. These are the principles of fasting, but we want to move in the next part. How do I do this? What does this look like in my daily life or my weekly schedule or my meal planning or I've got a family, I've got a feed. We're going to talk through those how to's and, and personal applications so that you kind of have some more tracks and to run on and more structure uh, to build on top of. So join us again for uh, session two. And we'll do some more of the application and how to let's pray before we go. Father, I just I just ask you to put a desire in us for more of you and less of what we want, because, Lord, the only reason we want the things we want is because we don't have enough of you. That is the only reason we're trying to fulfill everything we desire with stuff that's temporary, with things that are going to leave us feeling empty anyway. Lord, you are the only one that really and truly satisfies. And so, Father, I pray that we would catch a glimpse of that. Help us to understand. Help us to see that if we'll humble ourselves, if we'll receive your invitation and reciprocate and come in and say, Lord, I'm ready. You've invited me. I'm here. Show me how that, Lord, we'll see depths of you and heights of you that we never could have imagined. And, Lord, everything we could have asked you for, we won't have to because we'll already have it because we've got you. We've got you, and that's all that matters. Father, thank you. Thank you that your ways are higher than our ways. Thank you that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Thank you that fasting is hard work, but it's only hard in the strength of the flesh because if we're full of your spirit and we're full of you, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Bless my friends that are listening and watching this right now. Give them a desire. Give them a hungering and a thirsting for righteousness in the days ahead. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.